My aunt once told me a story when I was a kid about a woman who went out to water her hanging flowers on her porch. This woman went out to water the flowers in in the morning like she usually did, but she did not realize that a snake had crawled into that hanging pot over the night. When she went to water the flowers, that snake moved and, of course, gave her quite a fright. Well, that fright was sufficient to cause her to faint. So she fainted, fell on the porch, and her husband heard that fall and comes running out of the house to see what's going on, finds his wife laying on the porch, has no idea what caused it, so he immediately dials EMS. EMS gets there in a few minutes, and they find the woman very groggy, have no idea what's happened, so they're going to take her to the hospital to be checked over. And as they load her on the stretcher and prepare to carry her down the porch, wouldn't you know, the snake decides this is the perfect time to leave that pot. So right as they lift up the stretcher to carry her down, the snake starts crawling on the pot right by one of the EMS men, who now receives a fright as well. He drops the stretcher. The stretcher bounces down the stairs, tips over, and this woman ends up with a broken arm before the day is over. Now, I'll admit, I have no idea if this story happened like that or or not. It may be one of those urban legends that evolves over time. I don't know. My aunt gave me the story. I I do know that I have heard similar type stories over the years. It it really is, when you think about it, kind of a classic story of how things can rapidly go from bad to worse. We, We recognize circumstances in life work like this. We can have things contribute to other things that then end up in greater problems as we go. We we know life is full of hardships. In fact, as we'll see in our text this morning, we can expect that we will experience hardships as we go through this life. Now, we are continuing our series this morning on developing genuine love. Love for one another is that distinguishing mark of a Christian. We are to be known by our love. It's the thing that is to set us apart above all other things from the world around us. For that reason, as we've said all along, getting love right is critical. This is our distinguishing mark. We have to get it right. It should be a vital concern for us. As we've been observing now for several weeks, we can move toward getting love right by observing the list of characteristics that Paul gives in Romans chapter 12. This is what God considers genuine love to be. In this list, Paul is identifying the characteristics and encouraging us to develop the the real kind of love. We're, We're using this list to understand what love is, but also to examine ourselves, look at our lives, to evaluate our love against these characteristics. We want to ensure that our love is real love, genuine love. Christ-exalting love. Turn with me, if you have not already, to Paul's list in Romans 12. Paul's list begins in verse 9 of the chapter, and so far we've looked at the following items from the list. He begins heading his list with, Let love be without hypocrisy. Then he says, Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, 
rejoicing in hope. Last week we began looking there at verse 12, that that last phrase that I just read, rejoicing in hope. As I explained last week, as we move into verse 12 here, it seems as if Paul is starting to move away from, from the characteristics of these are things that we can identify love because they have to be part of it to giving us things that have to be in our lives to present or to create the right kind of environment for love. It's as if the things in verse 3, these three naturally occurring partners that we see in verse 12 rather, these three things work together to, to create fertile soil so that love can develop. The, the first, as I said, is the one we looked at last week, rejoicing in hope. Examining that, we came to the conclusion that, that love will flourish when our joy is fixed on the future promises of God, the, the hope that, that is out there for the future. We need a hope-filled joy for genuine love to flourish. Now, while we hope in these future promises, while we rejoice in, in what's awaiting us, we live in the here and now. We live in the present. In the here and now, we find persevering in tribulation. That's the next phrase there in verse 12. In the here and now, persevering in tribulation becomes our reality. Uh, apparently, persevering in tribulation, though, has something to do with developing genuine love. Paul includes in the list here. This morning, we want to unpack this phrase, persevering in tribulation, so that we can find what this connection between perseverance in tribulation and genuine love is. How do they connect? If you've been here the previous weeks, you, you know that as Paul writes these phrases, most of the time we switch them around in English from the way that he put them in the original. The way Paul wrote doesn't flow so well in English, but Paul wrote in a specific way to put emphasis on what is usually, in our case, the latter word. In this case, his emphasis is on tribulation. Literally, he wrote, in tribulation, persevering. So let's consider that second aspect of the phrase first, where the emphasis lies. We want to consider that and recognize that, that we should expect hardships as we wait and hope. Yes, we're rejoicing in hope. We're looking to the future. But we should expect hardships as we wait and hope. Now I'm using the word hardships instead of tribulation. Uh, I'm using that because I don't think we use the word tribulation too often in our daily conversation. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe a few of you do. But I doubt it. So I'm, I'm using the word hardship instead. Considering that substitution, I, I do want to make sure, though, that we recognize a couple of things uh, about the word that Paul uses in the original language, what, what the New American Standard translates as tribulation. First, I want to recognize that the word that Paul uses, it, it denotes a deep and serious kind of trouble. The, the word that he uses is, is used 45 times in New Testament, and it always carries the sense of distress. Usually in English is translated with words like affliction or tribulation because it, it carries the deep distress. So, so yes, I've used the word hardship, but I don't want us to think about the minor types of hardships. 
This is not the kind of hardship that we experience when we find out there's no milk in the fridge and we have to have toast instead of cereal for breakfast. It's not the hardship that describes our power going out right when our favorite show is about to drop another episode. Now, when we read this word, when we read this word, the idea that is to come to mind is life-shaking kinds of hardships. We're diagnosed with a serious illness. A good friend has lost a child. Um... We have unexpectedly lost our jobs. Our our spouse is in a car accident. Those types of of life-changing events, the the level of events that that will have impact in our lives for weeks, months, even years, significant life events that are truly hard to experience. That's what we need to have in our mind as we consider the idea here of expecting hardships. The, the second thing that I want to recognize is that in the original language, Paul writes the tribulation. Paul includes the definite article, the, and then a singular noun, the tribulation. That likely indicates that the Paul is thinking about a particular type of tribulation one that belongs to a unique way to us as Christians. He's talking about the tribulation, persevering in that. The the kinds of serious hardships that I just mentioned as examples are the kinds that are common to all people in general. Common to people in general because we all live in the sin-filled, the sin-broken world. We all experience illness and death and, and those types of hardships. But as believers, we can also expect a a unique category of of trials, a unique kind of hardship. We are people who are waiting, even rejoicing in hope that that is who we are. We are trusting in the promises of God. But we are also, as Peter makes clear in his first letter, aliens, foreign citizens in this world. As we labeled ourselves when we went through First Peter's letter, as we began it last year, we're, we're misfits in this world. We, we don't fit in because we look at this world different. As we focus on the hope before us that the promises of God, they're out there in front of us, we look at things different in the here and now. We find ourselves viewing the circumstances of life through, through different lenses, we, we have a different world of view. And that difference will add a unique hardship to our lives. It, on top of all the general hardships, there's going to be this unique hardship because we do not fit in. We can expect to encounter a particular type of hardship that, that comes from simply calling things wrong that the world calls right. Calling things right that the world calls wrong. Proclaiming the, the standards of, of this book that, that God has given us to a to world that hates these standards. That will bring tribulation to our lives. That, that will bring affliction upon us. A hardship as we wait for the future promises of God. I know that, that some of you are starting to experience this in your 
workplace already. The, this, the kind of challenge of that, that comes from being different in the world. How do you respond to the woman who wants you to refer to her as a man? How do you respond when the man in the cube across the aisle invites you to his gay wedding celebration? How do you respond when your company asks you to sign an affirmation in support of Pride Month? Responding to these types of situations that are becoming very common in the corporate world, responding to them biblically will undoubtedly bring hardship into your lives. So there's two things we need to to recognize about the way Paul refers to tribulations. One, we're talking about the deep types of trials that are common to life. But, But two, as Christians, we can expect there will be a unique category that comes from our different perspective. A a unique category of trials and tribulations, a unique kind of hardship, because we look at the world differently. And for both of these, as we put these together, we should expect, as I have on screen, to find hardships as we wait and hope. There's nothing surprising about encountering hardships. Frankly, I'm always a bit surprised when I'm sitting with a Christian who is going through hardship and I hear something like, Pastor, I don't understand why this is happening to me. Now, I hope that I always am gracious in my response when someone says something like that. I know when they're hurting that, that frequently there's emotions involved and people may not think everything through carefully. Still, the, the thought that inevitably runs through my mind when I hear someone says, how can this be happening to me is, why are you asking that question? There's nothing surprising about the fact that you're encountering hardships. It's normal. We can expect as much. It, it simply comes by living as Christians in this broken world. We should be the least of people to be surprised when we encounter hardships. We should expect it. As we wait and hope, we should expect that we would encounter hardships. That's the first thing to consider as we unpack Paul's phrase here, persevering in tribulations. We should expect hardships as we wait and hope. The second consideration as we continue to to unpack this phrase that he gives us is that we must endure hardships as we wait and hope. We must endure hardships as we wait and hope. Endure. That's the idea behind the word that we have translating or translated as persevering. Endure. Again, it's important that we understand though the kind of endurance that that is pictured in the word that Paul chooses. Like like the word tribulation, Paul is not using an unusual word. It's This word, too, is a fairly common New Testament word. It shows up 17 times. It generally denotes perseverance or or endurance. The the trick to understanding this word is recognizing that it is an active, steadfast endurance. It, It does not describe just putting up with things. Think about the difference between enduring as a runner of a marathon 
in enduring as a concertgoer to an opera if you do not like opera. These are different kinds of endurances. I don't know if anyone here has ever run a marathon. Yet we all know, I'm sure, that running a marathon takes great physical endurance. The reason that most of us have never run a marathon is we can't handle that level of physical endurance. A person must train for months. They, they must condition their body. They must endure hour after hour of their feet, pounding the, the road as they develop the stamina that will be required to run an entire marathon. And then when they actually run the marathon, from everything I've heard about it, there inevitably comes a point where their body is simply screaming at them to quit. They're racked with pain and, and exhaustion. The only way that a runner will complete a marathon is to endure all of that and actively press on, steadfastly putting one foot ahead of the next one. I guess I don't actually know if anyone here has ever attended an opera either, but my guess is that the probability is higher for that than that we have marathon runners among us. Now, now you might completely despise the opera. You, you might not understand a word they've sung and have no idea what's happening on the stage. I remember the closest I ever came was we went to see the Broadway show Cats and, and we're watching it and going through this show for a long time and we're halfway through the show and the intermission comes and my wife asks me what I think. I'm like, I am so lost. I have no idea what's going on. And she's like, nothing's going on. Each story is a different poem about cats. Oh, that's why I'm confused. Well, maybe if you're sitting in an opera, it's the same thing. You have no idea what's going on. Maybe the high soprano sounds like fingernails on a chalkboard to your ears. Still, all you have to do to endure an opera is to quietly sit in your seat until it's finished. It's a passive endurance. Sometimes I think we mistakenly place enduring hardships that come into our lives into the opera category rather than the marathon category. We, we think that all we have to do is passively wait for these things to end. We approach our hardships simply waiting them out, quietly, passively enduring, thinking the Lord will eventually remove it from our lives. Frankly, if we engage in any activity at all, it's probably the activity of trying to slip out from under the hardship or to evade it somehow. Yet the idea that Paul conveys is that our attitude is to be an attitude of actively enduring under the trial. An old Lutheran commentator states that, that we are to be uncomplaining and bravely endure the trials that God's placed in our lives. That, that means accepting them and, and actually embracing the, the hardships that God gives. Of course, Christians are not masochists. We, we, we don't enjoy pain for the sake of experiencing pain. But we are to recognize that, that God uses painful experiences in our lives to, to accomplish the goals that he has to make us more like Christ. Last week we looked at what Paul wrote earlier in this letter 
what he had said about hope back in chapter 5. Well, well, in the same verses that, that we looked at last week in chapter 5, Paul also addresses tribulation and perseverance. In, in chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, after writing that, that we exalt in the hope of the glory of God, Paul writes, And not only this, we, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character. Improving character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. From these earlier verses, we're to understand that, that Paul uses severe hardships to develop our perseverance, and then he uses that perseverance to, to build our character as Christians. He uses that development of our character to build our hope in that future promises. So it's our endurance of our tribulations that brings this great benefit that ultimately brings that which does not disappoint hope in the eternity. The, the picture that, that comes to my mind is, is the picture of a friend I had in high school. My, my friend and his father both were engaged in weightlifting. They, they were into weightlifting and they entered competitions and had a a number of trophies to show for their efforts. They were serious about their weightlifting. Well, sometimes I would go over to my friend's house and lift weights with him. I was never serious about it, but I did see how serious he was about it. You know, one thing I never saw him do was try to shortcut the strain of lifting the weights. He never sought to put lower amounts of weight on the bar. He never sought to get out from under the, the, the lifting. He, instead, he was constantly trying to put more weight on the bar. He wanted to increase the agony and strain that he was feeling because he wanted to do better at the next competition. Paul's told us that enduring our trials serves to give us something far better than weightlifting trophy. It produces this hope that does not disappoint. Why would we want to avoid the trials when we have this hope to gain? Why would we try to get out from under it? Why would we try to escape early when this is what it brings? In Romans 8, 24 and 25, Paul again expresses this idea when he writes, For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we eagerly wait for it. Now before we move on, let me ask you, how do you look at the great hardships that, that come into your life? Is the attitude that you have one of embrace or escape? Which way do you look? Do you embrace your hardships or do you seek to escape them as fast as you can to, to get away? We're only going to truly embrace our hardships when we recognize that God uses these hardships for His glorious purposes to build our hope in Him. As James reminds us in verses 2 through 4 of the first chapter there of James it's only when we understand that God matures us through these trials of life that 
Only then will we consider it all joy to encounter them. We must endure hardships as we wait in hope. That's the second idea that that we need to consider as we unpack this phrase, persevering in tribulation. This is something we must do. It's tied into our rejoicing in hope. We cannot rejoice in hope if we do not persevere in tribulation. We should expect hardships as we wait in hope. We must endure hardships as we wait in hope. It's not too hard to see both of these ideas from the phrase. As we unpack persevering in hardship and we see how Paul tied it right after rejoicing in hope, we can see these ideas. But what do these ideas have to do with developing genuine love? Remember, that's our context. Persevering in tribulation somehow creates the environment that helps us grow love. Genuine love, the real thing. What's the connection? I believe that as we think about it, we can see the connection. The connection is that persevering through hardship allows us to show genuine love. Persevering through hardships allows us to show genuine love. As we persevere, it's our perseverance in the hardships that that enable us to to display genuine love to the world around us. To, To see how this works out, let's think about the hardships a little bit more. We need to recognize that the hardships... They have a real potential to distract us from genuine love. Hardships distract us by by causing us to focus on ourselves, our our current situation. They they cause us to think about our agony and our pain. We we think about our own concerns. We we think about our future and and what it it may bring, how the hardships may derail us from our hopes and dreams. We think about a lot of things, but... All of these things are self-focused. They revolve around our own personal, immediate concerns. The problem is that genuine love, remember, is always others-focused. Genuine love looks to the needs and the concerns of others, not self. Genuine love is concerned about others. It's focused on their concerns, not our own. But, but we really cannot be other-focused and self-focused at the same time. The, the two are mutually exclusive. The, the needs of one will distract us from the needs of the other. They, they will naturally compete for our attention. The only way that we can remain focused on others when we encounter hardships in life is if we embrace those so we can set our own needs aside. That, that means that we must choose to endure our hardships Actively, patiently, persistently endure our hardships so that our attention can focus on others. Now, this does not mean that we ignore our own needs completely. We, we do what we can to, to wisely care for our lives that, that God has given us. But, but caring for our own needs should not be our primary concern. Our primary concern should be to show genuine love to others. Let, let me give an example that I know is a common type of hardship that many in here have, have experienced. Say you're diagnosed with cancer. 
is a godly application of wisdom to, to understand the condition that, that you have as, as fully as you can, to, to find out what treatment options are available. It is proper to pursue the opportunities that, that God can providentially give to extend your life so that you can serve Him more. It, it's proper to try to extend your, extend your life by resolving your cancer. Yet your primary concern throughout your treatments should remain that of using your life, however long it is, to serve Christ. You should look for opportunities to share the hope that you have in Christ with others through your treatments. Undoubtedly, as you go through treatments, you will meet people because of your treatment that you would not have met otherwise. There will be many. Certainly many of these people will need to know Christ. Your treatments can provide you an opportunity to share Christ that you would not have had otherwise because you would have never met the people and seen their needs. Yet in order to share Christ effectively, you must persist through your hardship. Your testimony for Christ is handicapped the moment your primary focus moves to your own condition. For one thing, most of the time you'll fail to even see the spiritual needs of others because you're focused on yourself. Furthermore, any words of hope that, that you may give will ring hollow if, if you're sitting there distraught because of your condition. How can you tell others that, that they need to trust in the Lord for their salvation and believe in Him and look to, to Him for all eternity if the very next sentence is, I can't believe he's brought this into my life. Or if that was the foundation you laid beforehand. You will undermine your message if you fail to persist through your hardship. This idea becomes even more obvious if we think about the particular hardship that we face because we are Christians. Not... not only will we face things like cancer, these general hardships that, that come in life because we live in this broken world, we will also face discomfort and even open hostility because we are Christians. We must persist through this unique hardship, the, the kind that comes because of our faith, or we will belie our faith. How can we say that we trust in our Savior if we fail to hold firm to what he has said in his word just because it's unpopular. What kind of faith does that display? We, we have faith for all eternity, but not faith for the here and now? How can we call others to trust in the one who died for their sins if we stop speaking of him the moment that their sin becomes popular in the world? How can we call them to trust in him if we stop talking about him the moment it becomes painful to do so. Genuine love is the distinguishing mark of a Christian. And genuine love requires that we persist through hardships rather than try to escape the hardships. Now, before we conclude, let me make a brief excursion from, from the main point of this sermon. I, I think there is an important biblical point for us to 
make sure we understand as a church family that that does not come directly from the phrase we're looking at this morning. It's not found in this particular text. This sermon is about how we must endure hardships that God brings into our own lives. We must persist through our hardships because that allows us to show genuine love to others. It lets us have opportunities to display genuine Christian-defining love. We are to love others for the sake of Christ as we go through trials ourselves. That's what this sermon is about. At the same time, let me balance that idea with the reminder that we are not meant to go through life alone. We're part of a church family. We don't have to go through things alone. In fact, we're not intended to go through things alone. In Galatians 6.2, Paul clearly states that we are to bear one another's burdens. In other words, we're responsible personally for persisting through hardships, but none of us should find us ourselves going through hardships alone. God's placed these people around us to help bear us up as we go through our hardships. We need to allow others to play the support roles in our lives as we endure the hardships that come. In fact, even in this passage, remember back in verse 10 that that we looked at a few weeks ago. Verse 10 makes it clear that the very first people to experience our genuine love are the people sitting around us. We are to be devoted to one another. We are to give preference to one another. The people around us should be the first to experience our love. Well, the reciprocal is, is true as well. We should be experiencing love from them at the same time. Especially when we find ourselves facing trials and hardships. By God's providence, he's placed these brothers and sisters in our lives. They can help bear the hardships that that we face. And really, as they do, as the people around us help us bear our hardships, and as we persist and endure our hardships, we shine brighter and brighter to the world around us that needs the hope that we're rejoicing in. Our rejoicing grows louder when others rejoice alongside us even as we endure hardships. Just remember that balance. We're not alone. At the same time, let me ask you, are you persisting through the hardships that God has placed in your life? Whatever the hardship is you're experiencing, it is not there by accident. It is there by God's sovereign plan, His decree, No matter what it is, it's in your life because God put it there for his purpose. Are you persisting in your hardship so that you can show genuine love to others? Are you prepared to encounter the unique hardship that comes because you are a Christian living in this sinful world? Are you willing to persist in the hardship that comes for standing in Christ before those who are in rebellion against him? You must. You must if you are going to show genuine love to those who need to know the hope that you have. Those who need to know Christ. Persisting through hardship allows us to show genuine love. Persisting through hardships. That's what Paul tells us to do. Persevering in tribulation. We are called by God to do that. We are called by God so that we 
can show genuine love by persisting through hardships. We never know when we may encounter an unexpected hardship. We may suddenly find a snake hiding in a flower pot as we seek to water the flowers. We, our hardship may grow greater as we faint. It may grow greater still if the EMS personnel drops us and we break our arm. We have no idea when our hardship will go from bad to worse. But we do know that we are called by God to endure, to persist, so that we can show genuine love to others. This morning we've seen that clearly. We've seen that one, we should expect hardships as we wait and hope, and we've also seen that two, we should endure hardships as we wait and hope. And we do both of those because persisting through hardships allows us to show genuine love. Let's pray. Father, we are all facing trials and tribulation, hardships in this life. We know they are in our life because you've placed us there. You have placed each one in us by your perfect plan. And Father, you have called us to use these as opportunities to show genuine love to the world around us. So Father, I pray that you would enable us to do that. This morning, reaffirm our endurance. Cause us to recommit May we become the marathon runners who press on regardless of the pain. Knowing that before us lies a hope that will not disappoint. May we press on looking to the needs of the world around us, showing love to them. May we not allow the trials of life to distract us and cause us to miss out on the opportunities to show love to others. Because, Father, our ultimate desire is that we would joyfully magnify our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.